0: Hello, OpStars. I'm Ashley, producer at the OpStars podcast. We hope you'll join us and the rest of the community at the seventh annual OpStars conference on September 21st and 22nd in San Francisco during Dreamforce. We've been virtual the last two years, but we are so excited to be back in person at the San Francisco Mint this year. Go to ops-stars.com to find out more about the speakers, sessions, and click on register now to join us. And by the way, it's free. I hope to see you there.
1: A really powerful sales motion is equipped by the fact that salespeople don't have to think about the motion. It's invisible to them. It's just something that they participate in. It's like a fish in water.
0: Welcome to the OpStars Podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrerdy. Hello, I'm Rachel McBrerdy, the CCO of Lean Data. Welcome to today's episode. I am joined by TJ Mackey. Welcome, TJ. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk today. TJ is the SVP of strategy at Sapper Consulting, where he oversees their go-to-market efforts, focusing on the developing of new products and partnerships. He's also the operating partner at SalesSource, a sales process optimization consulting firm that leverages sales processes, SaaS CRM, and cloud technologies to help companies structure their existing sales organizations to scale. TJ has an interesting career path. I'll let him speak to that a little bit. He started his career by founding multiple businesses, then worked in retail as a store manager, and has now been in the world of sales and revenue operations for the past six years. TJ's expertise and focus has been on optimizing sales performance and processes to help organizations to accelerate their revenue growth. I'm looking forward to discussing the evolving role of sales. And what it takes to optimize a team in today's digital-first world. Welcome again, TJ. I'd love for you to give us some highlights of your unique career path and what led you to your current role at Sapper Consulting.
1: Absolutely, I definitely have a non-traditional career arc, as they would say. But I think it's ended up serving me well. So I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, as you mentioned, I've started a variety of companies. You know, right out of college, I did a quick tech startup. Didn't really go anywhere, but it was great experience. And then I, I founded a product company that made sleep masks, took that to market, made a little bit of money, great experience. And then I started a retail company. I started a coffee company that uh, operated retail locations and, and sold beans. And again, great experience. It really just taught me the value and the difference in, in what go-to-market can look like in a variety of different businesses. Yeah, it really just sort of whet my appetite for helping folks start and scale new businesses new ventures from there ended up moving across the country you know took a job as a, a store manager in the interim and anyways i had some friends that started a company and invited me to come and work with them so i took the leap it was a little little tiny startup i was employee number i think 5 we really quickly turned it into something that's that's a lot bigger you know sappers now thousands of customers and tens of millions of dollars in revenue. And and it's been an amazing journey to be a part of that that success story and to get to help so many other companies grow.
0: You guys are really top-notch. So I'm guessing you might have a closet with some sleep masks. I got a box
1: in my (laughs) basement, different prototypes and ones that we took to market. It was so fun. What a weird, great experience.
0: (laughs) I'm curious to get your perspective on the B2B seller today, the modern B2B seller. What do you think are the ideal attributes or skills or activities? You know, we're in a customer-led environment. It's very digital first. We have tons of digital in the customer experience, but also in the sales experience. Give us a little bit of your perspective as we think about the sellers. What makes a great seller?
1: I'll tell you a couple of thoughts I have here. And I, I get to talk with a lot of companies, you know, both new just starting out in this journey and then folks that are you know, well, well into to large sales organizations. And there's a couple of things that stand out. One of which would be great sellers follow an audience. And I think I see a lot of companies get this confused and they think that great sellers follow product. That can work. The difficulty though is that you, know, you can have certain types of technology that serves vastly different audiences. And so the way that you're intervening and helping can vary quite distinctly, I think as well, you know, especially over the last several years, as I feel like sales has entered this new age in a lot of fashions, but in particular from like sort of job recognition, you know, being a salesperson has not always been, you know, a laudable or reputable career, you know, to some folks. And now, you know, go to market, you know, revenue teams as a whole are, are getting more of the recognition and respect they deserve. And with that, you have salespeople that are a bit more mercenary in their approach and they're looking for, you know, any company that'll pay them top dollar. Again, that's fine. There's there's no shame in that. But the best salespeople know a group of buyers intimately well. And it doesn't necessarily matter which solution they're selling to that buyer, but they know the buyer. And so I think that's something that stands out about Fantastic both teams and individuals is they're really committed to a specific buyer, whether that's to revenue teams or, you know, HR teams or programming and and engineering teams. I think you can make switches in your career. I definitely am a testament to that. But in general, a wonderful and powerful sales career is built on really committing to helping a specific buyer.
0: What are the benefits of that? Being able to focus on a specific buyer, I think this
1: comes back to like a disconnection that, that I end up seeing a lot, and that my team sees a lot in the market. You know, when you're going when you're going to market, right? Like when you're actually doing the action of of helping a customer buy, you're helping them at the end of the day solve a problem. You're not parading technology down the street, waiting for people to come out and throw money at you. And I, I think a lot of folks unfortunately get that confused. And it, even in their messaging, their their pitches, their prospecting notes. You know their proposals, it's all about them or the product. You know me, me, me centric selling. You know, here's my product, either buy or walk away. And you know you can get lucky with that approach. But consistent and really dynamic growth happens from teams and products that are focused on the pain that their buyers have in the day to day. And so the best teams are able to focus in and zero in on that, and they show up more authentically. And they're able to do something that I think is you know one of the second most important things to a great seller, is they're able to be consultative. There is nothing more powerful in a salesperson's lexicon than we can't help you. Being able to quickly disqualify or to qualify exactly how they can help at a specific point in the journey that earns you so much trust so fast and it's something that a lot of teams miss. So I think in general, being able to consult, being able to guide the buying experience, helping people buy rather than selling, that's what makes a great sales team.
0: That resonates Top performing revenue teams do you get uh, called the flywheel or like if I understand and know what it is that I'm solving for you, I can start you off, and then ultimately you grow and stay with the company. That role of that sales individual in being truly focused on helping the client, the why behind, not just what you're selling.
1: There's lots of of talk about the buying journey, right and about you know how do we make this more customer centric? There's a lot of lip service given to that, but salespeople are where it actually happens. And I don't want to downplay the role of marketing's engagement because they play a key part in that journey. But salespeople are where the conversation, the true conversation between individuals happens. And they're able to, in that moment, meet a customer where they're at, identify their pain, and help them figure out how to solve it. And again, not enough teams actually are able to put that into place. They get tangled up in either the process or an overly product-centric message you know, that prevents them from showing up for the buyer in the way they'd like to.
0: Okay. So give us some, some tips. How do we design this seller experience? What's your advice for building what you might need to support sure. this? Let's call this, you know, more modern approach where we definitely want to be more buyer-centric customers. I think this,
1: you know, this comes back to, in my opinion, you know, RevOps's mandate is is really to help, In my again, in my opinion, sales teams, see past or or not bump into the sales process so they can focus on the buying journey. So a fantastic or a powerful revenue operations team or leader or manager, the, these operators are able to work, you know, I think almost like a like a product manager. You know, they're advocating for the customer, but they're really working in direct service of the sales rep. I think ideally. And obviously it's a multidisciplinary role. You've got to, you know, relay with a lot of different departments and functions, but a really powerful sales motion is equipped by the fact that salespeople don't have to think about the motion. It's invisible to them. It's just something that they participate in. It's like a fish in water. And so, you know, really practically breaking that down, I think it comes to is the process clearly documented? I get to talk with, you know, I, I tell people all the time I've got the best job in the world. I get to talk with. Amazing sales leaders, you know, both small, fast growing companies and and large companies that are all thinking about how do we do better? How do we do more? And, you know, the best teams have a very accessible and clearly documented process for prioritization, for segmentation, for how exactly do I take this prospect through the journey of engaging them? You know, the best sales teams, in my opinion, aren't only consulting for folks that are coming inbound or through a product-led motion. But that's great. That's what great outbound is about. Um, and very, I would say very few teams are, are performing at that level. Uh, a lot of outbound is product-focused. It's, it's what you would qualify as salesy. But great outbound is actually inspiring folks that there's a better way to solve the problems that maybe they don't even know they have. And the best teams are able to do that. And they're equipped by a fantastic revenue operations discipline that is ensuring that there's quality segmented data that there are tagged, you know if you're using, whether it's you know smart views or list views, like you can access and segment and make intelligent, informed decisions based on the data and how it's organized, again, so that you can really seamlessly operate and engage efficiently. So that might be in a little rambly, but I think I think that's what what the best teams are doing
0: that notion of thinking like a product manager, it's more than just, automating processes. It's thinking about designing that seller journey, which is the flip side, perhaps, of the customer journey. But you need to design that journey. And if RevOps thinks of themselves as the product manager, then they're thinking about their end users being sales. And then how do they design their journey with the various supporting processes and, and tools? Is that fair to That's say? That's
1: 100% what I'm saying the best teams doing. And you know, I think the nuance here is a lot of Revenue operations and and sales operations work can end up being really reactive to whatever that quarter's demands are. You know, we're launching a new segment. We're, you know, redesigning our territories. We've we've got a new, you know, intent or, or data tool, whatever it is, but it's fairly short term initiative focused. And I'm sure it's tied back to critical company goals. But I think having that slightly nuanced North Star of instead, how can I help my selling team forget the process in the clunkiest of sense, so that they can simply be focused up on showing up for their buyers and helping those buyers buy? I think there's a, there's a difference there in, in how those teams operate and how they're they're working with their sales team. You know, again, coming back to that product manager idea, you know, they're interviewing sellers, they're asking follow up questions about how they can make the sales process better. That's something that uh, not every team's equipped to do, but the best teams are operating in that way.
0: As you think about building out a revenue operations team that is product manager in their mindset, is there some advice you would have on like, how do you get started? Do you start by, hey, go interview those sales people? Do you document a journey? Like what's the best way to get started? I would say
1: that what you just said is, is a fantastic first step. So go and interview your sales team, your actual sellers today. And document what the actual today process is. I talk to lots of revenue teams. And if you ask them, do you have a documented process? They're like, oh, of course we do. And then you go and start interviewing reps and you find that that process is a a set of loose guidelines or sort of an aspiration. And so being able to reconcile how much is actually documented today and then what's happening in the field, like how different are those two things? That's going to give you a strong understanding of essentially reality. And that, that shows you the parts of the engine and where you can start improving. So it's really common for instance, for, uh, you know sales manager or leader to say oh yeah you know here's our account prioritization and uh, you know here's how we go after you know different buyer personas and then you talk to reps and they're like well you know the data isn't really there for these personas and like yeah that is our target market but it's a bit aspirational like here's where you know our actual you know sales growth is is happening or you know those buyers don't actually engage with that message in reality those little points those are gold And they help you start to see where the breakdown between maybe an aspirational sales process and like the the process of reality is. And so then you create almost like a little development backlog of, okay, well, baseline, we at least need to be able to run you know the account prioritization that we have in place today. What's the data that's missing for that? All right, let's make that like our number one. Like we can't do anything if we don't have data to support the current sales place. Okay, great. We have that. You know, messaging is a big thing. This messaging ends up you know, as a hot potato in a lot of revenue teams. Uh, marketing's got writers, they can own it. Oh no, let's give it to RevOps. You know, the BDR manager is going to write, you know, all the cadences or sequences. It can be tossed around quite a bit. So let's let's create some ownership for that. Who is it? And then let's set up a feedback loop. Like, how's it going? Do we have an North Star? You know, what's our, our number one KPI that's going to indicate success? And I know it's really granular, but like those those are some of the initial steps that need to go into a process that can be designed again so the seller can stop worrying about or thinking about what do I do next? You know, where do I go? What what tool should I be in right now?
0: It's really remarkable when you can use the data and insights to drive the prioritization and put the right person to speak to in front of that salesperson so they don't have to go try to go figure it out. And in fact, they can't necessarily intuitively figure it out. If you get the like, here's the accounts to focus on, whether it's the company's focus or they're actually in the market shopping, whatever scoring and signals. If you can do that for a sales team and prioritize for them so that they can go work their magic, we saw 10 to 15% higher growth where we prioritize for the sales team. You really want to make them able to put all that in the background and do the consulting part. Get with the right person to go help them solve problems, not be mired in the data, figuring out where do I focus? What accounts today? Where are those people? Do I have their phone number? That makes sense that you start with that foundation and then you can start to optimize.
1: It does, especially because one of the things you just called out, like to have the data on the impact, you have to know that these other things aren't in the way. And so if there's inconsistent intent or access data, if there's inconsistent routing, if there's inconsistent you know, messaging, whatever it is, those all will create little black holes in your performance data. And so by defining all of it, mapping it out, and getting really close to reality on the front end, you can at least start saying like, well, we know it's not great here, but we know something's here. We know what it is. And you can start improving from that baseline. A surprising amount of teams, a surprising amount of successful teams have lots of revenue black holes in their engine that until they fix, you know, they're going to be limited in replicating success.
0: Yes. Would your your advice be, going back to your notion of this being a product manager, I almost imagine you could like prototype or mock up what would be the ideal scenario for a salesperson as they sit down or seller in the morning. What do they see? Rapidly prototyping the sales experience so that all of that other crap is background.
1: I 100% agree and I I think that that sort of rapid prototype approach again calls back to like the world's best you know product managers and their approach I 100% think that's right and this too you know that experience you're describing is why like the explosion of sales technology has been immense and in particular you know you've seen the wildly rapid adoption of sales orchestration and sales engagement platforms those are the new place of doing sales work because it's the one place you can go and see all of your activity and lots of folks are competing in the space your big classic CRM players are having their own versions and then you've got you know really the category leaders like outreach and, and sales Loft that are the ones sort of leading the vanguard on, on this being adopted but, but that's the where typically but as a, a product manager as a, of sales, exactly what you said like all right but how, I, how actually do you put someone in a sequence? How do you know which one? Uh, how many buyer personas for any given account? How do you know how much time you should spend? You know, it's, it's so funny. You get on LinkedIn and uh, there are 18 conversations a day from lots of thoughtful leaders uh, with strong opinions on like what the best sales messaging looks like. And don't get me wrong, sales messaging is so important, man. And we spend a lot of time talking about it. But I can't tell you how many times I find teams and, and we get into the work and they've got fantastic sales messaging, but they have no clue how many prospects or accounts should be any given sequence at any given time or any given cadence should be used with which, which personas. And so you, know, you got the right pieces, but if you don't have sort of the, the throughput and capacity outlined for your reps, you're going to have a bunch of backlog tasks or you're not going to have enough volume to hit your goal. Even something as simple as that is, is something that a lot of teams miss.
0: What you're hitting on is... The customer journey and the seller journey, when you say, hey, what's the right timing? Should it be a cadence? How should I respond? I mean, that's really in service of the best customer experience. Having things be more invisible to sales means that you've determined that logic for that individual that's coming in. If they're not the buyer persona or you know they might be an influencer, you might send them to a cadence that sends them more information, but they're not the one that you call and there's yes. no need to call them. Right. You have to be thinking about buyer experience along with what the sellers are doing because it's in service of right time, right message. You're driving the right engagement at the right time. What should go into an engagement sequence? What do, Who do I need to call? And that we have the power to do all of that, but oh my goodness, you do need to build it out. I mean, RevOps has has a lot of work to do if they're going to build that entire <laughs> engine. A lot of work.
1: Yeah, that's the deal. It's a lot of work, and and I think a lot of people don't give enough respect and space to the fact that five years ago there were two hundred companies doing this, and seven years ago there was like five. <laughs> so like this this technology is new, and while the components are all there, you know, salespeople have been calling and emailing and knocking on doors for eons this configuration, this rapid approach, this focus on the buyer experience over the selling experience. It's, it's new. It's not always been there. And so it takes a level of collaboration and discipline that a lot of teams don't have the practice in. You know, Sales has been a bit of a, the part of the company that's left to their own devices, the Wild West, and, and they're now being brought in with a lot of digital transformation, a lot of discipline. But I think you, you touched on something that's really important. The notion of How quickly do we follow up with any given customer? That's where that buying journey, that uh, that buyer's journey becomes so important. And if you're a company of any size, it may not be reasonable for your sellers to intrinsically know that customer to customer, segment to segment, product to product. And so this is where that buyer journey and seller journey are inextricably intertwined. It doesn't get enough attention. If we want our sellers... To provide a certain experience, it needs to be reflected in the systems and the process and the messaging. Otherwise, it won't be. It just will fall apart.
0: I think we're in very interesting times. We are on the cusp of the completely new era in the way that we think about our go-to-market. I think for the first time ever, we're seeing revenue in titles. Revenue has not traditionally been a specific focus of companies because yeah. It's harder, right? It's easier to optimize, to save, to know where you have efficiencies. It's much harder to say we're going to intentionally go figure out how to drive the revenue and make that, sort of break that Six Sigma approach. And I think what you're talking about is sort of about this this point of change that's happening in the market and being driven by COVID and the rapid digitization and changes in behaviors. But it's super exciting because I think a lot of these Things have been out there. We know that the customer experience is driven by the employee experience. We know that it's best to be a consultative seller. Like, we've heard all these things before, but but we have not operationalized all of that in the way you're talking about.
1: That's the piece. You know, the driver to this historically has been upside. Like, the companies that are most driven to be the snowflakes of the world, they have invested in this approach and this, this sort of thoughtful operational discipline. But not everyone had the ambition to be a snowflake or, or a, a Nutanix. Now, both elements of post-COVID, you know—did rapid digitization, the changing of buyer preferences, and, and also like just a more competitive sphere for gaining attention, saturated inboxes, you know, you know, more deliverability concerns. All of this has created an environment that has shifted from being the most forward-thinking companies are trying to capture upside to you know I really consider it its price is overly dramatic it's an evolutionary inflection point for selling teams they will either adopt this new focus on operational excellence and the intertwining of selling and buying or you know in some period of time you know maybe it'll be a long time 20 years maybe it'll be a short time of 5 years but you know these companies are going to go extinct if they aren't able to adopt this discipline yeah that's i think that's why you're seeing a lot of folks you know sort of wake up to the opportunity
0: Well put. That was brilliant. Excellent. It is, isn't it? Any other big takeaways for listeners before I go to my final questions?
1: I would encourage folks to not discount simply getting started. I I got to talk with a revenue leader, you know, in a a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I mentioned that that was my biggest recommendation of if you're going to implement new technology or make a, a significant change, just plan out a couple one hour planning meetings. That sounds so basic to the point that, you know, folks might roll their eyes. But in general, there's not a lot of discipline for a lot of folks in this, in this space, and uh, it can be easy to get overwhelmed, to try to do something that's too heavy for where you're at on a maturity scale. And so I would encourage folks, start simple, start small, but start.
0: Excellent. Thank you. So I'd love to get your advice for someone who wants to get into RevOps and be at a company that isn't going to be one of those dinosaurs in five years. Yeah.
1: I'm actually a big believer in, in the generalist. And there's, you know, different takes here, but this whole product manager idea, you know, you look back on the stories of, you know, like early Google product managers, you know, went on to have these storied careers. And one of the things that they're, they're well known for, there's a lot of books about it, is, is this idea of you've got enough technical prowess to take action and to design and be a thoughtful designer, but you have enough general knowledge of your collaborators that you can be a creative thinker and you're not bottlenecked by your inability to speak someone else's language. And so I think a great operator, a lot of times are like, oh, I've got to be you know, like a Salesforce wizard that has you know, deep, deep you know, app building experience. And uh, I don't think that's any longer the case. You need to have enough fluency in the technology for whatever the organization is that you want to participate in. But the, the best folks will be able to be folks that can you know, have fluent and creative conversations with sellers, with marketers, with technical operation leaders, with product leaders and product marketers. Those will be the folks that can drive change, but you need enough technical proficiency to take action. So own a discipline, you know, whether that's, you know, you're going to own Salesforce, you're going to own routing, you're going to own um, data validation, you know, sales engagement, sequence or cadence creation, whatever it is, own a discipline, but be a generalist and, and focus on getting great at collaborating with the, the folks you operate with.
0: Yeah, if you're a generalist, it's really understanding the space, maybe a specific technology or two that you are the top person but yeah. it still comes back to what you've been saying as a theme you got to design for that audience and know what their needs are and as long as you're bringing that you will then help to design the right systems to maximize their journey
1: i absolutely agree with that and i i think that you know if you are a seller that is interested in becoming an operator in this space you'll have a distinct advantage because you have that empathy you can speak the language you can relate um, i would say that there's not enough operations folks that have uh, a selling background and i think that's a big opportunity for high performing teams to have functional operators that, that know the space, that know the language.
0: There's a shortage of talent in revenue operations. We need to be recruiting from all different places. That's great. Let's encourage folks, as I think it's a really awesome, fun space to be in.
1: Such a especially like we were saying, such a fun and unique time. It's such a, a tidewater moment that, uh, yeah, it's exciting.
0: All right. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch?
1: Ooh. I think it, it probably varies quite a bit. I have the privilege of, I know, but, you know, a few great operators in this space. So it feels kind of silly to like take my friends out to lunch or folks that I I get to work alongside. I I would say probably Travis Henry. He's the lead, you know, BDR operator over at uh, Snowflake and he's got some fantastic experience and, and he does a fantastic job of being this product manager approach to operations designing for the seller's experience and and in his case the bdr experience so i would i would love to to take travis out to lunch
0: very good choice well thank you tj this was fantastic i love the notion of designing the seller journey and service of the customer journey bringing those two things together Um, that's a great perspective really appreciate you you sharing giving your insights today this is such a fun conversation the Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.